This is the way. Hello and welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast. This is episode 71. My name is Roger Heathers. With me is Declan Kitchener. How are you, Declan? I'm fine, thank you. I had a lovely drive down. The weather's gone a bit uh, rubbish at the moment, but like when I was driving down, it was just sunny weather, just like... I had Pink Floyd and Arctic Monkeys playing in the car loud, going down country lanes. It reminded me very much of a teenage youth spent doing none of those things because I wasn't cool enough to listen to the Arctic Monkeys or Pink Floyd then. It reminds me of my teenage youth in the 70s, which I didn't have. (laughs) My my youth in the 70s with the Arctic Monkeys. Driving my Chevrolet down the road. Oh, that's that's good. I'm glad you're well. Yeah, the weather has taken a turn for the worse. It's been on an awful day. Like, oh, it's been weird. And today you had your first um, Mandalorian quote because normally we go for Star Wars regular, but yeah, basically... I don't know. If, maybe some people don't know that. People must know. It's always a Star Wars quote. It's it? always a Star Wars quote. I'm just beginning to expand the pool of where I draw them from. So, <laughs> if you like Rebels and Clone Wars, I may do one or two of those if I can remember a few funny ones off the top of my head. It's the reason I'm doing Mandalorian today is just because I completely forgot to think of one on the way down, <laughs> and I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, um, so what we do on this show, for those of you who don't know, um, is uh, Declan and I, we each write a song in the space of a week, and uh, we come to this podcast and we talk about how we wrote them in terms of the chords and the lyrics and the um, inspirations, the influences and the structures of the song and other nonsense. Or stuff um, like that. We always go off topic, and um, this... Uh, we kind of do these in, in runs of seven weeks with an eighth uh, week as a roundup. And this, this run of seven weeks, we're kind of doing kind of like a, a, a random topic for each week. Um, it could be a literary thing, a film, a, it's a somewhere, topic. It's somewhere to jump off from, essentially. Exactly. And, and, and this week we're doing Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Heathcliff, it's <laughs> me, or Kathy, I've come home now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's too low for me. It's too low! <laughs> Yeah, you could probably do the Kate Bush like version. <laughs> Give it a go a second. Out of the valley with newborn sweet. <laughs> <laughs> it's better it's better than my version. Out of the valley with newborn sweet. Oh god. <laughs> it's, Cliff, it's me, I'm Kathy, I've come home again. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Oh, yes, I'm pretty good. <laughs> Better than me. We're oh, losing no. listeners by the by the bucketful. I'm out with some plastic of my little incense. Stick. Oh no. Anyway, so um, the, to be just to clarify, <laughs> we do both like Kate Bush. That's not. Yeah, that's how, we, that's how we know the words to her her hit single. Haven't heard anything else from her, isn't Not looking bad though, you know what I'm saying? Oh dear. <laughs> Don't get many aims to the pound. This post is protected by Kate Bush. Um... So, yeah, uh, Wuthering Heights, uh, 1843, I believe, is a publication date. The only novel, actually, published of Emily Bronte, of the Bronte sisters. Uh, uh, and I think it was a bit controversial on its release, like, because it's quite a dark and violent story, and, like, loads of people were going, like, how could a woman write such a dark story and things like that? But, you know, over the time, it, I think it's become one of the favourites of the Bronte sisters' writings. Yeah. And I'd not read any of it until this week. Uh, so, yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> let's let's be... Well, I want to be kind of frank about this. 
we we decided all these challenges at the beginning of this run of seven weeks, and yes. we decided one of them would be Wuthering Heights. So I was like, okay, cool, that's fine. I'll, I'll get the book from Amazon for like two quid or whatever, and I'll read it. This is kind of Ida's thing, like, okay, I'll read it two weeks in advance, you know, mm. just so that I'm fully up to speed on it. Um, and without wishing to spoil anything, I, I did take the book in with, to me in work, and I read it compulsively like on the bus in and out on uh lunch breaks and uh uh just any spare time i had at home and i still ended up having to listen to half the audiobook uh at 1.5 speed on saturday to get through it because it's quite a densely written book yeah it's it's densely written and look i'm gonna be open here i didn't finish the book but i did <laughs> I gave it a good go, but I just didn't give myself enough time, so I was disorganised. Um, but I do know about the book, and I know what happens in the book. Kate Bush told you, didn't she? <laughs> yes, thank you, Kate. Thanks for email again. It'd be funny if she emailed in. Oh, God, that was... Dear boys, yeah. my name's Kate Bush. You butchered one of my songs, and now I'm going to kill you. <laughs> she does kill people, you know. Oh, dear. That's why she's called Kate Bush, because she hides them in a bush. Isn't that, like, a really poor hiding place because you'd just be able to see, like, the bits of, like, dead body out of the bush? I didn't say she was a good killer. <laughs> <laughs> She's giving it the good old... She gave it a college... Good old college try. Hey, we both said college try. Yeah. Because it's a famous High phrase. five for the college try. Um, so, um... Yes. So any, anyway, I didn't read the book, is essentially what I'm saying. But I have a song, and we both have songs. Declan, I, Declan's I, first this week. Well, I can say, I did... Well, I read half the book, and I listened to the other half, but it was, like, an accurate uh, audiobook. I did read along a couple of chapters just to make sure that it wasn't, like, going off on its own thing. Right. So I did it properly. <laughs> yes. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yes, I am pretty good. So... This is my song this week. It is called The Siege of Wuthering Heights. Slip through your fingertips Onto the bits of more Sorry, I'm going to have to start that again because I went to the same note twice.
finished yet <laughs> it's not finished yet well kind of like um long long story this is a weekly songwriting podcast evidently this is, is the songs that we write in the week yeah so as we intimated before because Wuthering Heights is quite a long book and I don't think either of us set aside the time that we probably should have to do this uh I ended up only having the Saturday to write however Fortunately, I wasn't working on Saturday, and I just had to sort of stay indoors and avoid the bailiffs, which um, we'll get on to later. Um, so, I basically ended up trying to come up with, like, something to base the song around. Uh, we'll get on to the why it's not finished bit later. I'll just, like, mm-hmm. try and explain this in order. Feel free to interject. Um, and eventually it came on to this, like, riff. <laughs> That. Which originally that was slower and it was in G minor. Uh, so it's. Ooh. But then it kind of doing it at that sort of speed and in that key, it was getting a bit close to Do I Wanna Know by, uh, by oddly enough, Arctic Monkeys for, right. um, for comfort, which when you compare the riff, like in the sort of speed and feel. It's like they're sort of very much in the same sort of place, so that's mm-hmm. why I sort of lowered it down a bit and sped it up. It's also a bit of a pain in the ass riff to play because um, you sort of have to count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. Yeah, Which and then you've got the chord ringing, then you've got to play the riff again with the chord. Yeah, once you're into it, it's fine, it's mm. just starting it. And there are so many recordings I made on my phone of me just, like, miscounting or counting it wrong, particularly when it comes back in for the second verse. Right. Because, like, the temptation is, if you miss it, to just keep pedalling on that F sharp. Mm. But that's not really interesting. <laughs> so, like, you'll be there for, like, 12... You'll be there for 12 beats and you're like, how do I come in again? Think about this in a second. Wait a sec. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> I, I love the way, just to just to cut in real quick, is the way that the F sharp, that dum dum, is, is like a real constant in the song. But you don't always stay there, but it always kind of comes back to that. And it's like this really dark, brooding, like the book, you know? Well, it's, it, it's very much, um, well, the song as a whole is kind of uh, influenced more by the second half of the book, which doesn't tend to get as adapted as often. Mm. Uh, where basically, I think most people. Oi! 
<laughs> I think most people will be um, familiar with the basic story of uh, Heathcliff and Caffey and uh, their rival, who I've completely forgotten the name of because I didn't put him into the lyrics. Um, and that sort of side of it, that's like the 1939 film and like most of the TV series and things like that. But the book actually continues to like their kids and Heathcliff mm. essentially keeping them prisoner. Mm-hmm. And like the kind of where you've seen like the sympathetic side of him at the beginning, you see like the darker side and how that's manifested in his personality in the later half of the book. So that's what a lot of the lyrics are about. But it's also a kind of like, well, if this is going to be like, that's the thing that stayed with me. So it's like, I need a dark sounding riff. Yeah. Yeah. And you got one too. Which, uh, I was just thinking, like, ways I can corrupt that sort of chord slightly, that very pure F-sharp minor, which is... It's nice, but, like, it can very easily become boring because you just go into A. Mm, Yeah, sure. Uh, So, sort of, the eureka moment was when I thought, well, what does a major 7 minor sound like? Ooh! Yeah, that's dark. Yeah, particularly after you put it after the first one. Like, uh... And the vocal melody actually rests on the root, I think. So having the vocal melody do that as well, like a... It's on your fingertips, onto the bit more. Yeah, yeah. Then just E, uh, E7. Uh, just coming out of that riff. And then to C sharp 7. Hmm. Just because that... I didn't realise this until literally a second ago, but it sort of ties in with what happens in the chorus with the... You've got a C-sharp 7 there, but it's just nice to resolve. But then it doesn't quite resolve, because it goes to that G-sharp diminished. (laughs) Uh, The way I'm playing that for anyone who's interested is uh, thumb on 4 of the E string, and then... uh, Six on the D, four on the G, three on the B. So, and it's just sing, oh, okay. singing up that chord. You could not let go. I think I feel like those type of chords with the real darkness are essential to the song. You know, they're like your toolkit for this type of song. You know. Yeah, particularly as like, you know, considering the subject matter and everything. Mm. Then it comes into the sort of build bit, which. I just wanted to sort of do a bit of chromatic rising, but I thought, well, I'll start off with A to A augmented. By a name and by a voice. And I just thought, okay, so if I go to a D minor, because that's not normally an A. So if I make that a major, yeah. that's fine. And then I was sort of struggling to find chords for the rest of it, because what I was trying to do was make a line that where the vocal melody went up mm-hmm. to whatever key you were going to sing it in. However, I I sort of fudged this slightly uh, with the first two chords because the note that is ascending starts on an E, so do tell me to shut up if this is boring at any point, Uh, but it starts on an A, so you've got the E in there, raise that to an F. Uh And then instead of going to an F sharp, like I had sort of what I thought I was doing, I stayed on that F to go to the D minor. Which I thought was very interesting they did that, rather than just the logical climbing. But yeah, yeah go on, yeah. And then up to the F sharp. And when I realised mm. I'd done that, it's like, oh, OK. So I don't need to do a chromatic ascension, I just need to do a riff that goes... 
Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Which you have uh, to achieve that. I did um, A, A augmented, D minor, D, uh, G major 7. Weird. To, to a G. Uh-huh. And then to a C, uh, to a C augmented. So the end result is that you go, on each chord you go E to F, F to F sharp, F to sharp to G, G to G sharp, and then that sets you nicely to come up to the F sharp minor again for the chorus. So, see the wuthering heights. That bit. Mm. Um, oh yeah, the vocal melody changed a little bit for that. Oh right, okay. Because originally it was going to follow... The vocal melody for the build-up does follow the... By your name and by your voice Believing that you had no choice It sort of follows that. Uh, originally the vocal line would have followed the chords and sort of rested there. Because that you can sort of put in on the guitar like... Um, but it's a real toss-up between which one to use, I imagine. Uh, it was a little bit, yeah, but then it just feels more natural to sort of jump a little bit for that. So yeah. it ended up being the... Ah, fuck. It ended up being... Or something around that. Yeah. Mm. So you're starting on that, on that C sharp. Uh, it just felt a bit natural because it's... For a chorus section, it's kind of weird in that it goes lower. Right. Rather than shooting to the top of your register. I'm hitting C sharp or D around the end of the verses, but then I jump right back down to E, uh, nearly an octave below to go into that build up, and then I'm only hitting that C sharp again on the chorus. C sharp. You know. So it's, it's kind of doesn't really go past that, mainly because I don't have that much range. Right, right. But what I was sort of saying earlier about this song isn't finished mm. is that I was just literally lying in bed last night and I was thinking, OK, what could I do to, like, raise the tone or, like, uh, change the key of the song or that bit of the song relative? And I just remembered listening to... It was a Song Exploder podcast. It was about um, Weezer, Summer Elaine and Drunk Dory, mm. where the chorus just changes key and I just sort of clicked in my head. It's just like, oh, OK. <laughs> you know, I can do that, you know. Yeah. And I still need to work out which key I can put that into because there are sort of two things that I can think of. One is to go to an F-sharp major to start the build-up, as contrasted to the F-sharp minor. <laughs> You know, mm, that's that sort of thing, of yeah. Uh, but that would then mean I'm having to sing a uh, around an F sharp for uh, for the chorus bit, which is a bit of a pain in the bum, um, or go down to an E and do it there. Mm -hmm. But then it's also how do you get back out of those uh, without modifying the bits that I like too much back to F sharp minor. Oh, so you want to get back into F sharp minor? For the verses, yeah. Right. Oh, that's, a, that's always a puzzle, isn't it? Yes. How to get so, into and out of. So, for the purposes of the podcast, this song is complete. Uh, mm. This is what I did in a week, but this is what I'm thinking in my head. I still need to edit this a little bit. 
Sure, naturally, yeah. And I think it, we don't really tend to talk about this too much because we do tend to like have songs more or less fully formed with maybe one or two detail parts added later. Mm. I thought it might be worth sharing that, you know, this thing isn't finished yet. This is just mm. for presentation purposes. Of course, yeah, 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 I, I get that. Um, the bit that I'm kind of really happy with, uh, <laughs> in a sort of like a weird, called, you know, obsessive kind of way, is the bridge. Oh, I love the bridge. The, I can understand, but I cannot forgive the way you have been forced to live. So this is kind of chromatic movement in the other direction. This is moving down. And the way it sort of ended up happening was um, I was playing this, what I consider the middle of an E-shaped chord, which if you were playing an E, what I would consider the middle of it is second on the D, first on the G, and open B. Because mm-hmm. uh, below that is just your bass stuff, and then higher than that is just twiddly stuff. So do that for F sharp. I was just thinking like, well, how can I progress this? So I ended up coming around to this pattern of like moving things down one at a time, but on alternating strings. Okay, right. Which sounds more complicated than it actually is. So you start <laughs> off on F sh- on F sharp. You move the G string down one to become F sharp minor. Mm. You then move the B string down one. In effect, it becomes F sharp diminished, but I'm thinking of this as F over F sharp. Mm. And then back to the G string, move that down to become F minor over F sharp. Move the B down to open, so it becomes E over F sharp. Uh, move the G down to open, so it becomes E minor over F sharp. And then F sharp minor. Mm. And then you can go back to F sharp major for the start of that part again. Which so cool. It's one of those tricks that I really love when songwriters use it, I think. I'll Be Back is a good example by the Beatles, mm. where a verse structure ends on a major or minor and then it switches to the other. In mm. uh, I'll Be Back, it ends on a major and goes to a minor. And the same thing happens in uh, Little Black Submarines by the Black Keys. The verse patterns of that start in A minor. And then they end in A major. Mm. Etc, etc. It's the mark of a songwriter who's trying new stuff and knows what they're doing. You must be really excited and proud when you came up with that part. I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I would be too. That's um, very, I, when I heard you play that, I was like, this is very good. But... I'm just going to talk about the physical way I play that just for a second because it was a pain in the bum to try and work out. So the way I've just played it for you there is quite slowly and I've just been playing the middle of a chord and keeping that F sharp uh, going in the bass. The only trouble is that ends up being a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not if you actually know how to play chords properly, but you know, <laughs> it is for me. So like you have, uh, I think there was, even in the modified version I did in the performance uh, to make it a bit easier, there was still one slip up there. But you end up like... Like mm. It ends up being a bit sloppy. That looks really hard to play. It looks really... Like you're really stretching your fingers there. So what I ended up doing uh, initially was taking the S-sharp in the low E string, which I'm just playing with my thumb, and 
with GMB, I'm doing the same thing as I was doing a second ago, but like spreading that over the strings and trying to mute D and E. So. Which is better, but you still heard I made mistakes there. Well, that's a difficult part, evidently. Well, it's also the fact that at, at some points in that chord, more of your fingers are actually used for muting than they are for actually <laughs> playing a chord. Right, right. So I ended up coming up with a compromise which has been working relatively well for me. It's just keeping the F sharp in the top as well, which I'm not sure what that does for the tonality, but it means you only have to mute... Your thumb is automatically muting A, so you only have to be conscious about muting D. So... Um, so that's how I physically played that part. Um, I think there's nothing more to say about the music of the song. Okay. So... What about the lyrics then, Chachi? Well, the lyrics. This is going to get interesting. Feel free to cut a lot of this out if you want. So, on the surface, a lot of the lyrics are literally just recounting elements of the uh, plot particularly the second half, like, mm. you know, slip through your fingertips onto the bitter moors, turning your heart to stone, that's just to do with Kathy uh, dying, uh, which she does in... Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, <laughs> if people haven't read it by now, I mean... Yeah. Spoiler on. alert for a 177-year-old book. <laughs> um, but uh, that's to do with that, and, like, the... In dramatic plot terms, you would call that the inciting incident of Heathcliff turning into a bit of a bastard. Um <laughs> Just to put it politely. Um, and then, uh, essentially, the lyric is formed around... The first words I had were Siege of Wuthering Heights. Uh, and that was kind of on my mind a little bit, uh, because... Diversion time. Earlier this week, um, someone who used... I rent uh, a room in a house, essentially. And someone who used to live in another room in that house, uh, we had a letter through the door. Uh, the bailiffs were coming to take his stuff away. Wow. So Drama. Had, yep. So we had a note on our door saying, do not open the door for um, bailiffs and everything like that. Because, you know, obviously the landlord didn't want his stuff taken and I didn't want my stuff taken. Uh, but it did become a bit stressful, like trying to work out if I could leave the house, um, you know, for work and everything. There was actually one time where I decided to go out a bit early and the bailiff was, like, right outside the door. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, so I had to sort of... Fortunately, I'd woken up a bit early in terms of planning to sort of avoid him, so I just went back to bed for about half an hour and he was gone by the time I managed to leave. So it struck me as, like... Plus, I've been watching a lot of Game of Thrones, so, like, siege tactics were on my mind for some reason. <laughs> um, plus, in Season 7 of the Clone Wars, we're going to see the Siege of Mandalore, which is going to be good. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm a Darth Maul and Ahsoka fanboy, so it's just like, yes. Um, so that was on my mind. So that was the first thing that ended up coming to me. So the lyrics are kind of structured around that idea. This is probably why I was left with quite a dark feeling from the second half of the book. Yes, I imagine. <laughs> it tied yeah. in 
really well with like you know or really badly <laughs> depending on how you look at it with what was actually happening to me that week um i should stress this is sorted now it's fine they've taken the guy's car away he doesn't live there anymore. It's fine. Okay, it's sorted. Good. Was... My car, my stuff is safe. I was going to ask you about that off mic. Uh, that's all right. Yeah. Um, but uh, I knew I wanted that as a chorus line because it's kind of a strong set of words, even though it's a wee bit meaningless because Wolfring Heights isn't technically under siege. It's not like a military operation, but it's the feeling that I got from it. Like, you know, this controlling person trying to keep everyone in the house and like denying them access to other people. I get uh, that, yeah. So uh, the first two lyrics are just kind of like setting up the situation that Heathcliff is in. Uh, waiting on cold revenge, locked in a dreary uh, house, can't keep your prisoners in, can't keep your demons out. Very good lyric, by the way. When you played that, it's um, cool, the in and out thing. Well, the demons bit is just uh, literally that bit where Lockwood... Lockwood is a bit of a prick at the start of the book, I must say. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about this off uh, off mic last week, and I will just diverge now. Like, he literally just wanders into a stranger's home, annoys the dogs, insults everybody, <laughs> makes presumptions about everybody. It's quite telling that, um, like, a couple of chapters in, uh, Bronte gets bored of him and replaces him as narrator with Nelly for, like, the almost the entirety of the book. It's just kind of like... Oh, okay. <laughs> um, like, there's literally a bit in, I think, chapter five as well, where, like, uh, Lockwood says, okay, I'm just going to leave the rest of this to uh, Ellie Dean because she is much better at this and I don't want to change her style too much. And then she just proceeds to narrate the rest of the book. <laughs> Bulldozes over his narration. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's funny, like, because they're meant to be having this conversation like, over breakfast or something and, like, it goes on for chapters and it's like, you're thinking in the back of your head, like, this must have been going on for days. <laughs> and, like, it's breakfast when they start and they cut back to the framing device. It's just like... Uh, master, it's 11 o'clock, I need to go home. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, oh, self-awareness, fantastic. Um, I forgot what my point was. I don't remember either. Oh, oh but, wait, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lockwood goes to um, Wuthering Heights at the beginning of the book and he mentions Kathy to Heathcliff and he starts having a bit of a breakdown, so this is that's kind of why the demons bit is in there. Uh, so that's the thing that continually haunts him. Uh and then the chorus is just literally by a name, by a voice, Kathy's name, believing that you have no choice. She can't come home, you've locked the door. That's kind of the closest thing I got to a Kate Bush reference in this song. Because uh, mm -hmm. they reference Wuthering Heights feeling like home in the book. I don't think anyone actually says, Kathy, come home. Um, I think that probably may have come from one of the film versions. But that's clearly the famous line in the chorus, Heathcliff, it's me, you're Kathy, I've come home. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to try and get like at least a halfway reference to Kate Bush. Sure. So that's where I put it. The self-imposed, self-destructive siege of Wuthering Heights. Uh, I suppose also in the addition to the bailiff thing, like the self-imposed, self-destructive behaviour is kind of like... I think we're, we're, we're both introverts. I feel confident in saying that. And as an introvert, you do tend to sort of... Who, me? Yes, you. <laughs> Couldn't be me, then who? Um, uh, you do tend to sort of isolate yourself a little bit, and it's not... It's rarely for the better. It's more out of fear of not doing things or uh, fear of acceptance or anything like that, not to get too psychoanalyst here. Um, mm. 
So there's an element of that, as well as the bailiffs are coming, as well as, my God, this book is dark. Um, so there's yeah. three things on that, the self-imposed, self-destructive siege of Wuthering Heights. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, just real quick, I, I like how you've um, included a few of your own week's experiences into this as well, and your own... That was happening you know, no matter what. That wasn't a conscious decision. That was right, just kind that... of... I've been losing sleep over this all week. Oh, Matt, you should have told me. Um, I didn't want to worry you. I was going to tell you today off yeah, mic, send but... Me, send me a message. I was going to say, I was going to tell you today off mic um, if it hadn't been sorted by today, but it has, so... Good, good. It, it, it's happened. Um, and you got a song out of it, sort yeah. of. Uh... Yes, first two is just literally more plot uh, stuff. Uh, hope you have sleepless nights. I do hope Heathcliff, the fictional character, has sleepless nights because he is a terrible person. Not a great egg. Yeah. Um, and in the bridge, I can understand, but I cannot forgive the way you've been forced to live because obviously the first half of the book is setting him up as some dark romantic leave in the vein of Mr Darcy. But, uh, spoiler alert, he's not. <laughs> Like, it's, I think it's probably one of the earliest deconstructions of, like, the dark, brooding, angry, romantic hero, mm. um, which uh, characters like Mr. Darcy helped to popularise. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that, you know, uh, Bronte does actually give uh, Heathcliff, like, understandable motivations, which I think probably makes him a bit more of a compelling character. Rather than just this painted evil character, you know? Yeah, he's not just going... <laughs> I'm going to be evil just for the sake of it, but he does do <laughs> he does do some pretty atrocious things. Uh, I clearly cannot say if I would do the same, but if so, I would hold the blame. Like this is the sort of thing you find with most people who tend to be in positions of power and bully people. Is that um, at least from my experience, they found me. Run, run. Sorry, folks. There's a war on, <laughs> and say. Declan's the. Don't, don't say that. There might actually be a war on at some point. Um, yeah. What did you say last before the plane came? Just for editing purposes. So the second line of that, I clearly cannot say if I would do the same, but if so, I would take the blame. I think the thing I found with Heathcliff, and which you tend to find in most fictional and actual uh, depictions of people in positions of power who abuse that power, is that it's never their fault. Like, you know, mm. that most people are unwilling to own up to the fact that they done wrong. They done goofed. They uh, done bad. Yes. There are exceptions to that. Like, I've literally had people uh, message me who used to bully me at school. Uh, they messaged me one night and said, look, I'm really sorry, like, you know, uh, for everything that's happened. And, like, we're on, you know, OK terms now. Wow, that's really big of them. Yeah. You don't really hear of that often, do you? No. I mean, it's happened, like, once. I think... Possibly twice, but it was for a much lower infraction. But, yeah, like, it's it's the rare thing of someone who realises that they used a position of power, whether that be physical strength or whether that be, like, uh, you know, power and authority over someone and actually owned up to it. Heathcliff never does. He always blames everything on, like, the world has been unfair to him and Kathy is gone mm. and all of this stuff. Sure. Uh, so that's kind of my biggest beef with him as a villain which is which i will say it makes for a very interesting and compelling character mm. and also a very hateable character in a good way yes that the fact that he just will not admit that he is you know doing this out of pettiness mm. rather than out of some deserved revenge which he believes he is mm -hmm. 
Um, I think that's all there is to talk about the lyrics this week. Is there anything that you want to say about it? Only that I really like it, and um, particularly the bridge part, um, where you do go through um, those that great chromatic movement that you described earlier. I mean, I was blown away, especially like the fact that the song ends on that with that big, obviously F sharp minor at the end, having having followed what came before it. Originally, that was like done at full speed. Um, oh right! So like uh, you'd been on those longer, but I just kept doing that. I just think. It's a nice way to end the song, but it's just lacking something. So I just like cut all those bits in half. It's like, da, da, da. It's like, oh, that makes sense. I just, I just love it. It's, it's kind of, um, I kind of describe it in my head as like dark baroque pop sort of thing. <laughs> it's, it's really cool, and it captures the tone of the story really well, which I think is quite commendable. The fact that you actually could capture the tone of a book that you read. Um, I don't think everyone could do that. I think that's a really cool thing that you did there. Lyrically, it's really cool. And the fact that it ties into that bailiff situation, as well as tying into the the book, which focuses on being in a secluded house, you know, the, the sort people of are isolationist in. thing. Yeah, exactly. The fact that those two things are in parallel just adds to the enjoyment of the song for me. So, well done. I think it's great. Thank you. Very, very well done. I'm now going off to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess I'll play my song now. Um, inspired by Wuthering Heights, to some extent. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Alien and New, and it goes like this. Did you read the right book? Uh, yeah, yeah, War of the Worlds, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn it. Should have done War of the Worlds, but then we would have both just been trying to do the Jeff Wayne one, wouldn't we? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Hold your heart in your hand and tell me those unusual things. If you wanted to leave forever We could show you all what atonement will bring to you Wear your heart on your sleeve forever For the promise of love Unintelligent eyes remind you God is coming down from the heavens above And we don't waste time on simple things no more The bed we've made Circumstance feels small If there's somewhere out there That's warm and bright It seems alien and new So take your city to the next house And walk on out of you In the lap of the gods Together in the heart of the night If my memory served me better I could sit and dream of the solace you gave to me Inconvenient truths remind me Of the trouble we sow If they're going to talk about it The devil's gonna rise from the fire below And we don't waste time on simple things no more The bed we've made with circumstance feels small if there's somewhere out there that's warm and bright, it seems alien and new. So take your city to the next house and walk on out of you. I was sitting on the fence. I saw you walk on by and try to catch my eye. Well, usually I'd stop and walk the other way. 
Something about that day had left me stranded With nothing more to say than do you feel Like opening your hand in silence And hoping that I feel the same way too If there's somewhere out there that's cold and dark It feels alien and new I kind of like that ending. That's kind of really sort of... <laughs> it sort of, like, deflates the pomposity of, like, uh, songwriting in general. Just, like, you think it's going to build up to the grand statement, like... It's kind of like that um, police song. And that's, like, the chorus. It's just like, OK. That that ending, I mean, while we're on the topic of it, it was going to be obvious because it would have rhymed. Um, take your city to the next house, walk it out of view because it would have rhymed. But at that point, I was like, "This song is really just about the melody and the chords." So, what better way to highlight that than na 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 do do do? It's a, <laughs> well, it's a nice way to highlight that. It's also a really sweet melody and really sweet chords. There, you're using quite a lot of um, suspensions and things like that. It's got that thing you do really well with kind of that turn of the century singer songwritery kind of feel to it, which I really like. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I um. Like you could imagine maybe Irving Berlin doing a slightly slower version of that. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely got a few. Well, it's got a few of the things he does in his chords in general. Particularly, um, I'm a tone down. Um, for anybody who's interested, um, particularly this A7 with an F on it, which is uh, A7 augmented. I'd have thought, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, yeah, you're quite right. Poss- possibly. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I'm very into my augmented chords at the moment. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> well, I'm trying to use more and more of them as well. That's why they're in the build-up section on mine. I just think that this, it's like this new flavour I've discovered. It's, I'm cooking with it all the time, so to speak. Well, it's in the sort of uh, outro bit on the uh, C going up to the C7 before you get to the na-na-na-do-do-do bit. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so, okay, so I'll get the Wuthering Heights thing out of the way because it was really just a jumping off point for me. Well, this is a kind of, sorry to interrupt, this is kind of like one thing we will clarify with this. It's not necessarily we have to write a song about Wuthering Heights or we have to write a song about Egyptology or whatever it is. Mm. These are just jumping off things uh, to, uh, you know, inspire creativity we could have written a song about how much we hate Wuthering Heights we could have written songs (laughs) like imagining ourselves to be one of the lead characters we could have written songs about anything else but it's not necessarily that we have to write songs about Wuthering Heights just to sort of clarify that just in case anyone is sort of wondering yeah in case anyone's angry sorry to interrupt that's right um so the the first verse and the chorus are inspired by Wuthering Heights in a sort of weird way so when I was studying the book and the the general narrative, I noticed that this house... There are a few houses. This house, Thrustcross Grange. Yep, see, I know the name um, of it. Um, It just seems to be this, like, house where misery pervades. It's just this long timeline which stretches over many people's lives of just this horrible misery. It's between... uh... The Grange and between Wuthering Heights, just because the two families lived there throughout the generations, that it enables the terrible things that happen to the characters in the second half of the book, because they're sort of bred by these two houses in the first half of the book. Yeah, yeah. So I just had this this image of this really, well, first of all, very isolated place where 
there are these houses where people are just living in misery, you know, you know. And then my first thought was with um, what the hell's his name, Lockwood? Is that his name? Uh, that's the initial initial narrator. Yes. Yeah. So he comes from the city and eventually returns to the city, right? So. I just had this this kind of image in my head of him being this outsider who comes in... You know, kind of when you go into, like, a really toxic environment and you go, oh, shit, how are they living like this? I mean, this is kind of like the first chapter of the book, uh, but he is also being a bit of a dickhead as well. Yeah, he's not, not perfect. But, like, so I, um, but like a well-meaning dickhead. So, like, yeah. oh, so she's your daughter. No, she's my... Uh, she's not that... Okay, so she is your wife? No, she's too young. Ah, then she is your daughter-in-law, so that's your son. No! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh... So I had this kind of, um, this thing in my head of, he's this outsider. And then I started to think of him as, like, uh, a door-to-door salesman, in a way. So when you go into, like, a, a really strange or toxic environment, you recognise it immediately, you just think, why don't you just leave? But because they're so tied into their ways and so tied into the misery that has come from being in this place... Um, I kind of imagined him, like, selling the concept of London to these people, going door to door, and I know this isn't what happens in the story, but going door to door and knocking on the door and trying to, like, even almost in an evangelical way of saying, you want to try this new fresh life, it's it's warmer, it, there are more people there, It's there's more love and relationship and everything going on there. There's smoke, you'll die quicker <laughs> if you like your misery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, so I had this idea of the first verse being... Uh, this guy using very flowery, romantic language, going door-to-door in this, like, really desolate, isolated, miserable place. Using the kind of flowery, romantic language which I like to use in my lyrics, I don't know if anybody has noticed, um, about God and love and all that sort of thing. And so he... He's he's talking in this way, and it, it lends itself very well to lyrics, I think, because there's lots of rhymes and there's lots of um, imagery to use. So he's um, he's saying... <clears throat> if you wanted to leave this place forever, we, as in the people of London, we could show you all what atonement will bring. Like, we can show you how good it can be. And he's saying, have high hopes for yourself. Like, have high um, aspirations. Like, wear your heart on your sleeve all the time, even at the risk of being hurt. Always, like, look for love. Always strive for love and that sort of thing. And then the... So picture, like, that guy at the door of the house. And then Heathcliff, for example, he's he's at the door of his, you know, threshold of his house. And in the chorus, he says, we don't waste time on simple things. <laughs> like, we don't have simple pleasures. It's just misery for us. Uh, he says... Um, That's kind of what Joseph the... Uh, I think he's a pastor or something. <laughs> like, he's always just goes around the back of the scene in this impenetrable Yorkshire accent. It's <laughs> just like, oh, we had none of that in our day. Oh, read the Bible lots. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes... Um, if there is somewhere out there, the city you're talking about, that's warm and bright, that just feels alien and new, you know? It's like, I don't want to go there. I'd rather, you know, have the discomfort which I'm used to rather than the potential comfort which is scary and new. The concept is essentially better the devil you know. Exactly, yes, exactly, yes. Um, and so from there on, I kind of had this this image in my head. And um, for me, songwriting-wise, once I get an intro, a verse and a chorus... I feel confident in myself that I have a song and that I I can even leave it at that point. If I if I do, if I leave it like mid chorus, I feel like I kind of I've done that before and I kind of set myself up for a song that's not so good. It doesn't have a real through line, but once I got to the end of the chorus, it had gotten late one night or something. And I I did other stuff. I um 
Anyway, so I, I came back to... Other stuff, I think we need. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I met somebody I hadn't seen for a while, and we had a really good time. And it kind of, you know, kind of a crush, I guess you could say. And oh, I'm flattered you talk that <laughs> way about me. <laughs> and it's called the Weekly Song Podcast Dates. No, um, I, I met somebody I used to go to school with. And um, anyway, we had a really good time. So I had that in my, on my mind. So the Wuthering Heights thing had already been established. So in the second verse and the chorus and the bridge, I thought I'd sort of try and write about that a little bit more. So you have obviously the same melody, the same type of chords, um, talking about... Um, talking about just basically the thoughts and reflections on that. So, in the lap of the gods together, in the heart of the night, if my memory served me better, because I haven't got a very good memory. No that's just about me. <laughs> um, if, if my memory served me better, I could sit and dream of the solace you gave to me. And just songwriting-wise there a second, the way I used the rhymes there, I feel like was a, something I was really proud of and kind of a breakthrough for me. So I've got... Um, in the lap of the gods together, in the heart of the night. So night should be something that rhymes later. Um, if my memory served me better, so together, better, better. Da, 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 da. Um, and then it should be, I could sit and dream a da 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 to tight, you or, know what I mean? All right, or... All right, know. or anything with those it sounds. But because the G is extended for a while, that chord there, I go, I could sit and dream of the solace you gave to me. And it's just like, it has this, like, rising thing, which I was really proud of. Because you're waiting for the... But then you've also got that mini rhyme, dream and me. They're not strict rhymes, but it's like an emphasis on the same syllable there. Yeah, that's another one. That's, yeah, well, well um, spotted. This um, is kind of what I love to do, is just kind of delay rhymes and put, like, other rhymes in the middle of it. Yes, totally. And the fact that the melody rises on that G part, I just felt like I had this like really cool thing. And then the fact that when it gets down to to the the end of the verse, you have that um, on the first verse you have um, God is coming down from the heavens above, and then on the second verse the devil's going to rise from the fires below. I was going to say I really love that touch. Like it really Thanks. ties the verses in together, and it sort of illustrates that they're making different points in a really clear way. And it's. They're both really cool lead-in lines for a chorus. Mm, so, thank you. So, on the the devil's going to rise from the fires below part, for example, um, and the uh, I could sit and dream of the solace you gave to me, I'll play the second verse now a sec, so you can see when I go to the G, um, which is on that sit and dream part, and it's also on the devil's going to rise part, they're both on a G, but they have very, very different feels. The devil part being much more blues-oriented. You know what I mean? And then the um, Solace You Gave To Me part is very much Irving Berlin, Gershwin type of, like, uh, uh, flowery melody. So I'll play it now for you a sec, so you can see. In the lap of the gods together In the heart of the night If my memory served me better I could sit and dream solace you gave to me inconvenient truths remind me of the trouble we sow if they're going to talk about it the devil's gonna rise from the fire below what i quite like about that is that um you sort of contrasted the melodies there with the uh meaning of the words so like i can sit and dream of the solace you gave to me it's mainly rising up Yes. Uh, whereas, like, devil's gonna rise from the fire below is, like, mainly heading down. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also the same sort of thing went into God is coming down from the heavens above, although God is, is higher. Um, in he would terms be of coming down coming from down. the heavens. God is coming down from the heavens, heavens below. below. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, the... 
I don't know, there's something about the way the verses came out on this which I was just so pleased with because of the way they move with the lyrics, with the rhymes, with the chords. Um, I haven't written a song where I felt like everything was sort of so in, in, in parallel with each other for, for a while. And then um, the chorus is pretty simple. So I actually swapped out some some less conventional chords for some more conventional chords in this. So um, in the first chorus, I'm playing F to... What's this here? Uh, are you muting the B? Uh, no, I'm playing the B. I would call that... Uh, a... D diminish sus six. I'm not certain. If anyone knows better, do uh, email in. Mm. But he's playing D uh, open, G one, B open, and E one. So I make that D diminish sus six. But if I'm wrong, correct me. So I have I have that. So I'm going um, F to that D diminish type of thing to C, the root. So, and actually swap that out in the second chorus. So the cool thing with this song is like, there's this ability to, or an option, to swap out some chords for other chords. So you can go, and we don't waste time, F, on simple things, that D diminished type of thing, no more, C. Or you can go, simply, we don't waste time, F, on simple things, G, the five, to the one. No more. I mean, they've both got the B and the D in there, so they both kind of work for that. It's just you've got the uh, F and the G sharp, which is different from the G, obviously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so the chorus is very, very simple with the chords it uses. It just goes, essentially, we don't waste time on simple things no more. To the one, make it a seven. Same thing again. Da, 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 da. Seven, you hit on twice. If there's somewhere out there, same chords again. Warm and bright, and here you go, you go a little bit differently. You climb up the G to go to the C, so you go. Alien, B flat there, which is a little bit different. And new, and then you build on the G. Leave your city and the next house, and walk on out of you. So again, just G, F, C, you know? It's a nice way to put those chords together, and it's sort of... Uh, it sort of highlights the fact that you're able to take complicated chords in and out of that sequence, that the basic chords do work on their own. It's yeah. just you can add or take away extra flavours as you need. Like, uh, you know, there'll be examples of songs, I'm sure, where, like, there's a simple chord progression, but as the song progresses, you either put in more complicated bits just for one transition or take them out or vice versa or things like that. Yeah, totally, totally. And... um and I suppose it's just like a, a knowledge of which subs you can use. And I, I have like a couple of different options I could use, but um, one of the ones that I ended up dropping for, for the same sort of reason that I wanted to go for a more simple approach was um, a chord that you used last week. Um, so I was playing in C, so at the start of the song. Hold your heart in your hand and tell me. So you're going C, D minor, so one, two in the uh, Roman numeral. What I was going to do is play C and then this F6 here, which you played last week. Because it's got this nice feel, which I and the reason I chose that originally, I dropped it eventually, but it was exactly the same reason you chose. Is the F just didn't cut it? I needed that six for that bit bit of mellowness. Yes. So um, I stole that from you, <laughs> but I ended up dropping it in the end. Well, I don't own that chord. 
That is true, that's true. Um, so anyway, Not so, yet, anyway. <laughs> you can write any song you want, Mr Simpson, but don't use the, uh, the notes A and E. Disney owns those. <laughs> Um, so, okay, um, just uh, for a quick um, bit. That should be a challenge for a week. <laughs> we don't use A. We should look up what the episode actually says, which notes they, because it's two notes that you can use. Oh, the idea you can't use those notes. So we should do that as a challenge for a week. Um, so I think you and I both had bridges we were quite proud of this week. Yes. I like the way that your bridge is sort of, it goes on for a long time, and then you realise it's the outro. Yes, it's it's kind of a surprise. Um so, usually when I write a song, I'll sit down, like, like I said before, I'll get my verse and my chorus, and then my second verse and chorus will be quite similar, a bit of changes and a couple of stops or whatever. Maybe I'll write a bridge, and the bridge will be quite simple just to lead back into the verse or the chorus. So I'm quite like a simple songwriter in that sense. I mean, if you look at Grand Pier from a couple of weeks ago, that's quite a simple construction, and that's mm. that, in, you know, working there. Yeah, exactly. And so with this one, I was like, you know, it could, be a, could just be the verse-chorus thing. But then I had... I had some time to sit down and try and follow this melody, and I wanted the chords to suit the melody as best they could, and I wanted to challenge myself to see how uh, how challenging I could be to myself with what chords I'm using. So um, I'll try and talk through this um, without making it too uh, lengthy. Uh, anyway, so, so you've got the end of the chorus here where you go... So take your city to the next house and walk on down the road. You're back at your root there, C, right? Yes. And then, um, I've done this a couple times before, but I go up to um, D sharp major. I was so you change key kind of here. Can I just say because you've already established B flat and F in that song as well as C and G, it's a really cool trick because you're sort of straddling free um, chord. You're straddling three keys essentially. You've got either B flat with B flat, E flat, and F. You've mm. got C with a C, F, and G, or you've got F with F, B flat, and C. So it's kind of yeah. this weird intermingling of uh, sort of keys, which is really cool, and it's probably why something like that E flat works really well there. Sorry to interrupt. Please continue. No, no, it's cool, cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, the fact that there is some, an ambiguity makes me like this song a little bit more. So yeah, you got the E flat. So you're already completely non diatonic at this point. I was sitting on the fence. Go down to that B flat. I saw you walk on by C minor and try F to catch my eye. B flat. And here, I was like, I wonder what I can do here. I was like, let me be real daring. Go down to the A seven. Um, and usually I'd stop. Right, so now you're kind of back in C major, right? Because you're playing a D minor there. Usually I'd stop, and then G. Try to catch, uh, you, you see, I'd stop, and try to walk on by. And then you go F, something about that, and you go B flat. Day had left me stranded. So you're really kind of like going into something here. With nothing more to say. So D7, G7. Do you feel? And then you're back at C, so you're back at your root. Now you could go back into a verse here. Can I just say, I love the way you're sort of playing with like all the fifths in that. Like, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, it's the fifth of this key. No, it's the fifth of this key. It's the fourth of that one, but it's the fifth of this one. Yeah, <laughs> but and yeah, totally. I, lo I loved using that fifth thing, um, going from fifth to fifth to fifth, but, and and making you think, oh, here we go, we're stopping here. Oh yeah. shit, no, we're not because it's actually a seven. We're going further. So I, I want to play that in its entirety just to kind of show. Um, the effect. To show the effect, yeah. I was sitting.
with nothing more to say than do you feel like opening your hand? You know, you're back at the sea. But rather than going to a verse, um, to keep this short, rather than going to a verse, you just climb up that sea, and before you know it, you're at the end of the song. And you've just done, you know? It's a really cool trick because it engages attention if, like, an audience has not been... If, like, they've sort of sneaked off to, I don't know, go and have a beer or something. Or a wee. Uh, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, they just come out having not had their wee just to hear that bit. Um, <laughs> no, it's really cool because it sort of brings attention back because because you're switching between, like, these transitional chords and these fourths and these fifths and you're not quite sure where it lands, the effect is that you're not sure whether the next one's going to be the last one, but you kind of hope it keeps going. And then when it does, you wonder if that's going to be the next one, but you yeah. hope it keeps going. Uh, this is kind of one of the cool things about unpredictable chords is just kind of... it can, Done right, it can really hold an audience's attention, which I think that does. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I always love that kind of thing, that ambiguity of... And what I love is that that whole section is like a floating key centre. Mm. You know, it's like... You don't know what is what. You're just kind of like listening for where it's going to go. And I wanted to get back to that C, obviously, because it's the root of the song. So it's like a case of like really trying to like work out where can I go. It's like a real puzzle to get there. You know? <laughs> yeah. Do this in three steps or less. <laughs> God, imagine the other Well, yeah, that would be difficult to like <laughs> do it in so few steps. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. Th- I think that's it. I've covered the Wuthering Heights thing and then the old other bit of the lyrics. I mean, it's kind of like a... The first bit's a door-to-door salesman song and the second bit's a love song. So, it's a um, pretty cool song. I really do like that. Thanks a lot. And um, I think that's everything, isn't it? Unless you've got anything you want to say about it. Uh, only that it's really good. Please do something with it. Thank you. Oh, thanks a lot. appreciate uh, it. Uh... Uh, right. Uh... Welcome to Email Corner. I mean, I, we need a name for this segment at some point. I've given you plenty no, of names no, for this segment. No, we are not having any of the names that you suggested. Savile Row. No. Come on, it's no. a real place. No. Just just no. Townsend. No. <laughs> no paedophiles in this section, please. I didn't even mention it. Uh, for God's sake. <laughs> anyway. Email part of the show. Um, I'm not sure I can get back my momentum after that. No, no. But, um, yes, uh, we have had another email in from Aaron J. Milner. He's emailed in a couple of times before. Uh, we've got a few regulars emailing in now. It's like a correspondence. This is probably the most we've actually engaged with people outside of the podcast for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is good. This we're is very so good. We're so desperately lonely. Um, Not anymore. Please do send in all your emails and comments and things like that, and it will be fun. Uh, anyway... Aaron writes, Thanks for reading my email on the show. I decided to post my demos to SoundCloud in hopes that someone will hear it and give me a multi-million dollar recording deal. <laughs> this is kind of like our, our aim as well. <laughs> so, someone from like Sony or like Virgin just comes along and just goes, My goodness, those chaps there, they, they've got the ticks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get them on staff. Um, uh, we'll see how it goes. I do have a question for you all. Uh, what is it like booking shows over there? I'm sending out e- many emails a week and not getting any response. I heard an artist I like named Joe Pug say the best thing he did was get a booking agent so he didn't have to deal with the feeling of rejection that he gets when they say no or sometimes nothing. Uh, 
Have either of you gone on a full-on tour? And just one more side question, is being a full-time professional musician something either of you want? Why or why not? Loving the show, Aaron J. Milner. Cheers for that one again. Um, so, shall we answer these in order? Sure. Okay, booking agents. Um, I don't tend to book a lot of gigs. Uh, when I've been in bands and things, that's always someone else's responsibility. I just deal with uh, hitting my thing and making the loud noises. <laughs> um, there was a, a video essayist called Lindsay Ellis. Uh, she's posted something up recently about trying to get a book deal, which uh, she says like, having a literary agent helps when you're dealing with bigger places mm. uh, because they know the protocol of how to contact bigger venues, bigger you know properties, bigger companies... And they can also shield you from the harshest criticism and rejection, just like you say Joe Pug uh, has said. Mm. So in that respect, it is something worth bearing in mind. But it's sort of, I think it does depend on what level you are booking at. Um, but I am not an expert in this field. Let's actually talk to someone who has actually booked some gigs properly. <laughs> Roger. Well, I, I haven't had a great deal of experience, but I've been, like you, Declan, I've been in bands where people have booked gigs, and I've also booked my own solo gigs. So you've done more than me. So, um, my... Right off the top of my head, I guess. Um, my thoughts on it are make everything that is viewable or listenable to prospective um, venue owners and bookers as good-looking and good-sounding as you can. And you don't need a huge budget for that, but make sure your demos are concise and relatively well recorded i don't mean you have to book studio time or anything but like pretty well recorded demos like maybe three or maybe three on a cd or or an email you can give to people um venue... even just like a relatively decent recording at a open mic or something just to prove that you can work a crowd and that you can yeah. actually play your instruments and sing exactly or, or, a, or a pretty well filmed youtube video um something that um this goes for labels, too, from my experience. Something that um, label owners and venue owners can stream rather than download, you know, because it's the easier you can make it for them to see your face and see your music, the better. So It's the thing you should be linking, like, directly to, like, this is my music, you can find it right here, right here, right here, rather than giving instructions if you go to SoundCloud mm. and search. Yeah, because then this. they've got a chore to do. Yeah. Um, so, so, and also the other thing is... Um, you you got to put yourself in their shoes, I think, to a certain extent. So, like, instead of thinking, I want gigs, which is obviously the first thought, I, I think the, the next thought could maybe be, like, what does a venue owner want? And what does a sp specific venue owner want? If there's a small um, coffee house that does acoustic gigs, like, obviously it wouldn't be the best idea to send them a full band demo. Send them maybe a video of you playing acoustic guitar, and they go, hey, that would fit in well here, and that sort of thing. Um... So, yeah, I guess that's my thoughts on that. And vice versa, if it's like a pub or something, local pub, where, you know, you're going to be playing to a loud and rowdy crowd, mm. it's maybe not the best time to break out the acoustic folk jazz uh, set that you've been working on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that, that's the time to go balls to the walls rock. And also, I think one other thought is just ask for what you want. Rather than being vague and fingers crossing and hoping that it works out, just be like, I've seen that you do music in an email or whatever. Be very polite, but I've seen that you do music. Um, on these particular nights and describe what you do in keeping with that and you're more likely to get what you want if you really ask for it, I think. Hmm. Uh, the second question there, uh, have either of you been on a full-on tour? Um, who's going to answer this one first? Uh, you. Okay. I've not technically been on like a full-on tour like around the country or anything. Um, 
I have been in a band uh, previously where we did like a Cornish tour, which is just like playing loads of venues around the county and actually playing a few festivals uh, out of that, like local festivals. I think I sadly, uh, I left that band just before we were going to play Lou Festival, which was really annoying because that would have been the biggest. But we did things like we went over to the Isles of Scilly to play the Daymark Festival and mm. uh, played, I think, a BBC introducing stage or two. Uh, Daymark Festival, I think that's still one of my favourite points of my life so far. That sounds great. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'll have to actually have a talk about it at some point. Yeah. But um, So not like full-on tour, living in the back of a van kind of thing, but uh, yeah, I've... I've toured around Cornwall and Devon a little bit, so mm. that, there's that. How about yourself? Well, the only thing that really comes to mind, um, I wouldn't classify this as, as a tour in in that sort of like... Uh, like the sleeping, the, work. the sleeping on the back of the van, not seeing home for ages and things like that. Mm, yeah, I haven't done that, but I, I've been to Germany a couple of times with a band I used to play bass in, and um, that was a lot of sleeping on floors and... Um, playing a lot of shows and stuff but it wasn't like a full tour but i suppose that's my my experience with that. and it was fun you know it was good um most of the time yeah it's, it's fun when like the bands are energized and everything and like you step out onto stage particularly if it's like a festival slot and you're seeing the other people around you and they're like really sort of like being quite shy and you've you've sort of like been preparing with yourself like yeah we're gonna go out and we're gonna do this with energy yeah and, like you know exactly what your first songs are gonna be just to hype up a crowd yeah, when you have a game plan, it can be really fun. This is the thing I did love about this band, is just we used to, like, rehearse everything, like, mm-hmm. all the time. We used to change songs a lot, and we used to work out what are the best openers, what are the best closers, mm. and, like, just methodically working out songs and set lists, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's always good that that happens. And the last question uh, is, being a full-time professional musician, something either you you want, why or why not? Uh... I suppose I may answer this one first because um, I've answered the other two first. Uh, yes, and I have been. Uh, only for about uh, three months, but this was with the same band. Uh, I had to leave the band for reasons that we shall not go into, but we're on good terms, we're on applicable terms. I've played with them since and, you know, we're all good friends and everything. Um, but for a while, that was the only way I was earning my income. Uh, I will say I was still living with my parents at the time. Uh, which did help, <laughs> like, you know, not having to pay that much rent or anything. Uh, it is something I would love to do again. However, living in a different city and, like, the practicalities of trying to find uh, other band members and enough projects to be able to pay, you know, my expenses, uh, plus the fact that I haven't booked any solo gigs for myself. I've played one or two, but they've sort of come about sort of by accident and I don't know how I get them uh, so I do need to actually work on booking solo gigs like that if I can theoretically get that to a point where I can pay my rent every month pay for petrol uh, pay car tax pay for you know uh, food pay for maybe one or two luxuries a month that would suit me just fine because this I feel as much as I sort of deprecate myself music is the thing I am best at like, this is where I'm happiest failing, if that makes sense. <laughs> As opposed sure. to, like, you know, I work in retail, so I, I don't want to stay there for the rest of my life if I can avoid it. Um, cut to 20 years later and I'm still in the same shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, it's something that I would like to do. And it's something I know that can be done because I've got friends that do it. It's just, you know, working up the balls to actually phone up and say, Hello, uh, do you want me to sing? Uh, and trying to work out a way that I can sort of sell myself properly. Sounds like you and Aaron have that sort of the same challenge at the moment then. Yes, although for me it is more laziness than anything else. <laughs> that's a, I think that's probably one of the big things in like uh, why a lot of great musicians don't go like full-time professionals just because they're too lazy. Right. <laughs> Said by the laziest man on earth. <laughs> uh, so how about yourself, Roger? Would you like to be a professional musician? Have you been? And why and why not? I... Uh, I would say I haven't been. I've made money from music, definitely, um, and continue to, but I, I wouldn't say I'm a professional musician. I would certainly like to be. Um, it's something I think about quite a lot, and I'm trying to come to terms with, especially as I get older, how and what form that will take, because music is a really important thing to me. But um, I need to make enough money to you know, to, to live and all the things you described, all the expenses you described. Um, so the ways I've made money with music up until this point have been selling my own musical skill set, um, to other people for money. Right. So, um, in a few different ways, um, I mentioned a band I went on tour to Germany with, I used to play bass and guitar and sing in that band. You were kind of like a permanent session musician. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, and I was with that band for a while, and I've been with other bands as well where I've played and earned money from that. So that's kind of like the first way, I think, you know, you you find yourself with bills in your hand, you know, having earned money. This is kind of the thing I'm trying to do a bit more at the moment is just, like, uh, apply as like, a bassist or a guitarist for a few groups, like, not necessarily with the intent of, like, making it big or famous, but just earning money. Yeah, definitely. it's something, and it's a starting point. And yeah. it helps you get more contacts, particularly if you've moved to an area where, like, you have no contacts. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so obviously, the, the band thing is the first thing sort of I, I came across that gave me money. And then also, I do stuff online as well, where I produce people's songs from the ground up. And I play guitar and bass and keys and sing and all that sort of thing on people's stuff. And I mix and master and I edit podcasts for people. So I do loads of stuff with audio. But to me, music is a creative thing. So what we do on this podcast, which doesn't earn any money, but we do it because we love it, is we write songs and we, we produce things for ourselves. And so it's an art form as opposed to a skill set um, mercenary attitude to that. And so would I like to be a professional musician? Yes. Would I like to do that in any way that's available to me? That's becoming less and less yes. Um, I am just thinking at the moment, I want to get to a point where I can do to express myself artistically for money but it's crossing that bridge and i think that's the challenge a lot of musicians face mm. is crossing that bridge and i mean some of the stuff i find myself doing musically producing stuff for other people isn't that great you know it's like you know you, you do a lot of like children's songs or editing podcasts um for people which gets you money but it isn't that great and it's not very stimulating and at that point you kind of think i could be using this time differently to earn money in a different way um, so that's my stream of consciousness on that. But yes, I would love to be a professional musician, but with the right artistic integrity, I guess. Can I just add, it's probably, you're probably having more fun editing sort of work that you find unstimulating actually like on audio and like doing things with that mm -hmm. than I am working in a shop. 
That's probably true. That's, that's true. But this is, this... but you earn more money than I do. Mm. I'm pretty sure you do. Um, that's the thing with this stuff is you get the benefit of like sort of the joy of oh I'm doing what I want to do with audio. But then it's also like the money's less. So you know it's, it's tricky. It's a trade off. It's a sacrifice either way. Yeah, it's kind of a. As you get older and you get more and more financial commitments, it becomes more difficult to sort of fulfill that teenage dream of just being, you know, either a solo singer or a frontman in the band who goes on to take on the world. Mm. Um, and it can be done, but it's, you sort of end up having to sort of... The thing with, like, trying to be a professional full-time musician is that like any self-employed work, uh, particularly with like actors and dancers and things like that, uh, musicians, uh, it's not guaranteed work. So you have to take a load of jobs that you find less stimulating uh, in your chosen field to be able to guarantee you have enough money uh, to be able to, you know, pay for rent and pay for fuel and pay for everything that we've mentioned before. Mm. Uh, whereas, like working as I do in a shop is one of the most boring things that I've ever done. But it does mean that I can pay my rent every month without uh, without fear. Mm. And sort of like the, once I actually work up the balls to phone up a couple of places and actually ask for gigs, uh, the goal becomes at first not to quit work but to minimise work. Mm. Uh, this is kind of when I was in a full time band uh, back in Cornwall. I was already only working like 16 hours a week anyway, compared to I'm working 36 now. Uh, uh, and I was having less expenses, so just doing a couple of gigs a week would, uh, as a band where I earned much less than I would solo, mm. was fine because, you know, I didn't have that many expenses. Now that I live in a different city and I have, like, more rent to pay, I have different expenses, you would need the workload to increase, uh, mm. you know, uh, in relation to that. And obviously, there's only so many pubs, there's only so many venues, there's only so many gigs, uh, and you've got to leave time for yourself because otherwise you just run yourself into the ground. Mm. So it's... Difficult getting the balance where, like, the only thing you can do is music-related. I, I don't know where I was going with this, but it's just kind of thoughts on my head at this time. No, I get that. It's, it's the same for me. It's like, there, there is always a sacrifice. And the thing I'm kind of toying with at the moment is the idea of... Last year, I, I only worked as a producer slash engineer slash podcast editor slash all those audio jobs. And it was... It was good. It was really good on one sense. But then on the other sense, A, it doesn't give me very much money to actually have any real independence. And B, it didn't actually give me that much time to focus on my own music. I mean, I always do. I always make time for it. But when it came time to do it, my energy that I have for that was severely depleted. As opposed to the idea of what I'm kind of doing now is getting a job which pays full time and then having like a concentrated that of energy that I can give to my solo projects, which I feel then would, would feed into them taking on better form, better presentation, better sound quality, you know, more, more good players playing on them because I could afford to hire them. Um, and just all this stuff kind of contributing to 
the actual integral music I'm making being spotted potentially. Mm. You know what I mean? Rather than kind of like spreading myself thin, because I've done the same thing when I played with that band. I played bass, and I, I used to be, I used to drive so so much just to kind of get to all the gigs. Well, it's I a necessity so... in Cornwall. Yeah, exactly, and I mean. But just, just generally, just driving all these places. And by the end of the week, I was so depleted. It was just... You can see why people... But then there's the other thing. Cause I, I mean, I, I sound like I'm being sort of like all grown up about it. But I I don't think you could find another person. I think you and I are very similar in this sense. Like, we are very much um, emblematic of that thing of... We want to do music for money. Like, the answer yeah, to that question is... in the email is yes. Yes. But it's like you have to, like grapple with that it's not an easy thing to just you it's, know because being a professional musician isn't necessarily just being like uh you know a person making music on stage making your own music and playing that live that is definitely one aspect it's an aspect a lot of people go for it's an aspect i'd like to i'd like to go for but there are so many different ways that you can be a musician and particularly as you get older and you get more commitments some ways of making music uh sort of begin to appeal more uh, for mm. example, you're very much uh, more interested in recording in the studio side of things, like um, particularly a lot of your key influences like uh, Kate Bush and Prince and uh, David Bowie and people like that mm. are more noted for how they use studios and recording techniques. And yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you've got, I think, is it 20 releases up on Bandcamp? It's, around, it's around 20, yeah. Uh, uh, more if you include P Green Boat, I think. Um so that's kind of where you are exercising yourself more. And you've said to me before that you like playing live, but it's not necessarily as fun as doing the studio stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. I'm a bit of the inverse. I do like recording stuff. Um, I do like getting that sort of thing down because there is fun in that. But ultimately, my favourite thing to do is be with a group of musicians on stage and play loud music because it is fun. Uh, it's just the challenge of trying to make either of those approaches pay in a meaningful way, whether that means you, like, if you want to play live, you work in multiple bands or you, like, work for your own stuff and then you have, like, a covers project on the side just so you can get reliable income. Mm. Or, like, like you were doing last year, like, uh, if you're recording your own stuff, whether you work more for other people just to provide more income mm. and then, like, use the time for your passion project. There is no straight answer to this. There is no sort of set way of doing it. It's just, yes, now figure out how. Exactly. And just another point that came to mind when you were saying that is there is this sort of thing of how do you grapple with this? Do you you have a part-time job? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you join a band? All this stuff. But the cool thing with music is if you get hired at um, a quote-unquote regular day job, right, you you know what salary you're getting, you know what you're getting every month. Now, with something artistic like music or animation or, or filmmaking or freelance work, you have this thing where, you, like you rightly pointed out earlier, it's unpredictable. You don't know what your pay is going to be like. But here's the cool thing, is every now and then you get some job that comes in. If you do it for long enough and get your skill set to a good enough point where it'll pay you, like, way more money than you get normally from any job. Wedding bands are a good example of that, like... Um... Uh, with the band I was with before, like we mostly did pub gigs and uh, like small festivals and things. But I think when I was with them, I only played one wedding, but they had played weddings before. And if you're at a stage where you're confident enough to do that and you can present yourself nicely and, you know, you can play 
you can essentially play the songs, uh, that provides a lot more money for you. I know our friend Sam has played a couple of weddings and that provides, you know, a bit of a cash influx uh, for him. Mm. There's also this idea I toy with, toy with quite a lot, which is like, you said about your gigs, you don't kind of know where they come from. And I think the best jobs I've ever gotten through music are the ones I don't know where they come from. I think when I try to force stuff too much and really try to, like, you know, send out loads of demos to record labels and really try and really sort of grasp at it, I mean, this almost goes into, like, the, like a like a Zen philosophy of, like, the more you grasp at something and try to hold on to it, I need this, I really want this and desire it, you won't get it because it'll just slip out of your hands. The more you can have fun doing music and make it, like, a laugh then the more you kind of go through your life, people go, oh, I can see he's having fun doing this, and he seems to be quite good, actually, mm. then, hey, we should get him on this project we're doing, because he seems loose about it, and I think the more loose you can be with it, and uh, the better, you know? It's that sort of dichotomy of, like, planning for the future and living in the moment. Mm. Like, um, you've got to have fun in the moment, otherwise uh, you'll reach a goal, but you won't... You have missed everything brilliant that you sort of were having along the way. But you do need to plan for the future, otherwise you're just going to end up going in circles for ages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's treading that line between, in the biggest inverted commas I can find, forwarding your career, as in, like, enabling you to earn either more money or more consistent money, versus, you know, being able to enjoy what you do as a job. There's that famous quote, like, find a job you enjoy doing, you won't work another day in your life. Yeah. And... It's a nice ideal, and it is possible in some cases, but you do have to sort of bear in mind, you know, you can't just be searching for enjoyment, you do have to be searching for security in some way. Yeah, which yeah. Which is fucking loose when it comes to, like, uh, creative industry. But you need to try and find it somewhere. Mm. Yeah. This got deep. <laughs> I blame Aaron J. Milner. Oh, sod you, Aaron J. Milner. You know what the J stands for? What does it stand for? Just awful. <laughs> <laughs> Just... <laughs> How dare you make us search our souls. But I do hope that's been, like, a helpful discussion for people out there, particularly people who might be, like... In the position we might have been in uh, when we were 16, 17, just starting out your garage band and just thinking, yeah, we're going to take on the world. We don't need to plan for the future or anything like that because we're going to, you know, mm. we're going to sell a million records by the time we're 20. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, okay, you need to actually plan this stuff. Like, well, one final thought I just had is, like, if I could give advice to my younger self, I, I'd say start writing more, write more often, and also... Have one project that you hone and make look and sound good. Like, make it so it's got a name and it's, like, got a schedule and, like, make it fun and make it have a certain look and aesthetic because you are way more likely to, A, get good and, B, get discovered. If you, Otherwise, you're just this sporadic thing who writes sometimes, does this sometimes. That's kind of what I did. I think if you have a project that you work on and build up from the ground up, I think... That's a very good thing to, to cultivate. And a project doesn't necessarily need to be like a recording project or an album. It can be like, um, okay, I want to play larger venues, so how do I start doing that? Well, I'm going to start like asking for a little bit more money or I'm going to start like playing more complex songs or I'm going to sort of uh, try and play less of pubs and more of like venues and things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like when you look at success and you go, I want to be a 
famous musician or whatever that's cool but like what does that look like like yeah. what like does that look like you at venues or does that look like you in the studio quite a lot whatever money are you earning that sort of thing you know? are you going to be kate bush are you going to be the foo fighters are you going to be bjork are you going to be adele like you know what form does success look like for you and how do you get there try and like reverse engineer that but also mm. leave room for the fact that you know for example i would love to be frank turner i'd love to sort of end up in a situation that he has ended up in but i've not lived his life mm. so i'm not going to end up in the same position so i have to you know learn from the way he's made his music but also be aware that things will be different for me just because of you know different time periods you know uh different governments in place different attitudes to music different genres in fashion uh and just be aware that things will take a left turn at some point mm. who's that there's that great quote um uh where you someone was saying like you base when you're starting out you base your career on someone else's be it like uh, you know, your Freddie Mercury or your Dave Grohl or your Kukumet or whatever it is. And you start planning to follow their career and then as time goes on, you divert more and more from that path until you suddenly ended up with some recognisable thing that is your career. <laughs> right, right. Yes, definitely. And I think a big part of that is making your own opportunities. And I know that sounds very pull yourself up by your bootstraps and stuff, but it's true. It's like... Well, it's like I was saying earlier, like, I'm the laziest person in the universe and I get no gigs because I do not phone round, I do not actually put the effort or the time into, uh, you know, achieving that, despite the, that being something that I like doing and that I want to do more of. Mm. So, uh, you know, you do need to make your own opportunities, even if that opportunity is getting rejected for playing at a local pub. Yeah, and you, you've got to just do it. You know, you you've got to just like schedule in a time too, with yourself. You not know? to get too Shia LaBeouf about this, but yeah, just start doing it, and don't be afraid to fail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because if you're afraid of failure, then nothing happens. That's exactly true. That's very very true. That was the longest email segment we've ever done. <laughs> Jesus, how long is this episode going to be? <laughs> 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 oh dear, we've got very, very serious. Come on, let's make some fart noises. <laughs> oh wait, wrong end. <laughs> <laughs> wrong end. Yeah, don't blow the trumpet from that end. Right, shall we do a roundup now? Let's do it. So that's it for this episode of the Weekly Song Podcast. Uh, if you've liked what you've heard, if you want to write in, if you want to ask us more you know, soul-wrenching questions about what we actually want out of life, um, uh, why not email in at weeklysongpodcast.gmail.com? Uh, you know, we can either read out letters on the air if you don't want them read out, but you'd still like to send us something, just maybe put in a line saying, don't read this out or something like that. Uh, but yeah, we do like receiving your emails because it makes us feel all, you know, gratified and that people are listening and people want to respond and it's all fun and it's all good and hooray! <laughs> um, uh, if you're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, uh, was it, was it CastBox last week? Uh, mm, yeah. If you're any on, on any of those services, either like leave a thumbs up, a like, a, um, a follow, uh, a review or a rating or something because that, all does help so please thank you awesome cheers um and yeah where can they find your music roger 
find my music at rogerheathers.com. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter, at rogerheathers. Where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on SoundCloud, uh, Declan Kitchener. I'm in the weekly song podcast following section. Uh, also, Pea Green Boat, uh, an unforgettable luncheon, which has had another great review this week, uh, and I've still not listened to it. Have you not? <laughs> no. You might I, like it. Yeah, no, it's not because I don't want to, it's just because I keep running out of time. No, no, I understand. Um, but we do need to do an episode with Joe at some point. Yeah, we do, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, he's 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 funny too. He's a, He'll be a good, charismatic guest. It will be fun, particularly to sort of hear you two talk about your songwriting process and like if it's changed or anything like that. So, yes, we need to make sure that happens. Um, yeah, I think that's about it for this week. Uh, what is the research or sort of inspired by element for next week? Next week, the challenge is it is actually The Birds by Alfred, uh, directed by Alfred. Next week's challenge is actually The Birds, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, which I'm finding very difficult to say, apparently. Hitchcock, 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 Hitchcock. Which is going to be a lot easier this week because you can we just, just have to watch, watch a, a film. film <laughs> rather than, God, oh, don't suggest a book again. That was so difficult. I'm so sorry. I thought it was going to be shorter than it was. Um, it was although, like little, the, yeah. bir- the Birds was adapted from a book, so we could read that. I can't wait. <laughs> The old but, birds. But have you ever seen the birds before? Nope. This will be my first. I'll be popping my bird's cherry tonight. Oh, it's a it's a great film. Very atmospheric. Um, yeah. So we will see you next week then. Ta-ra. Ta-ra. <laughs> <laughs>